0: This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 558 for May 10th, 2017. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. Bringing with you, as always, all the news about patents and court injunctions, as I know you expect (laughs) from this. Oh, wait, no, sorry, Susie Oakes. fiber
1: uh, optic (laughs) speed. fiber
0: optic speed. You know, I've got fiber optic. Uh, Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Backworld, is here, so we can't talk about those things. Hello, Susie. Hi. No patent suits. No patent suits, I promise. Not
1: this week. I looked at it, so don't worry, everyone. You can listen to it at 1x speed because there's no patent talk. I
0: might sneak something in quickly but maybe not. Uh, so our earnings announcements were out. We're doing some follow-up first, a few things, because uh, their earnings announcements came out. And uh, as we suspected, nothing uh, particularly fascinating that required us to stop the presses. But, um, you know, there was uh, – we, we ran a few stories about this because, of course, we're still curious about what Apple is up to. Uh, it's a big company, something a company we care about. And uh, Susie, I didn't think it was a uh, – I didn't think it was a bad quarter. It didn't seem like a good quarter. Uh, it seemed like, um, you know, uh, Jason Snell wrote a, a kind of six takeaways article that summarized, I think, the interesting points. I, I was most concerned about uh, the China issue. Um, I don't know about you. Did you see anything that stood out to you from um, from the earnings? Or, or It looked
1: a little soft. Um, I think China wasn't growing. Like, it was shrinking, but they said that um, – did they talk about it? And they said that it wasn't shrinking as – You know, it was starting to to turn around a little bit. Yeah, because they can Um,
0: see the trend over the quarter and they're only reporting the whole quarter as a thing. So they can tell us that. Um, Really interesting thing. uh, Ben Thompson of uh, Stratechery, who's an independent uh, analyst, uh, John Gruber wrote a piece uh, talking about – Well, you should read Ben Thompson's column – uh, he publishes uh, his subscription service, but he publishes, I think, one column free a week. And this was about um, – he lives in Taiwan, speaks Mandarin, spends a lot of time in China, understands that market better than I would argue um, most people writing about it who aren't writing in Mandarin and because uh, he's over there and uh, he's enmeshed in it. And uh, his take – and John Gruber wrote this up at, at during Fireballs where I, I want to credit where I, where I read the take from is that China is driven by WeChat, which is not a thing in um, – in uh, America, really at mm-hmm. all, um, and WeChat is uh, if so. I mean, this is an, I think a really interesting distinction. Susie is like we have this very distinct app platform thing. Like Facebook would like to be a platform on which apps are built, and people and it is a thing in and of itself. And it tried at one point to release a Facebook phone. iOS and Android are really you know separate development platforms, and some developers develop for both platforms. Most do these days. iOS is often first. Sometimes stuff comes out at the same time. What Ben Thompson is arguing is that in China, the loyalty isn't to the phone as much. There is he, – he and John – or John and he disagree. John was kind of reacting to Ben's writing about the importance of new models and um, whether there's the status associated with getting new uh, up-to-date models that look different. That's one issue. But WeChat as a platform, because it's so significant, if you switch from an iPhone to Android or back, you're not losing the same kind of access to – your network and community and so forth as you would in America. If I leave iOS, if I switch to Android, I can't use iCloud more or Mm -hmm. less. I mean, I can use it in limited ways, but I don't have the same access to it. And that's a really fascinating point because that's been the thing that platform lock-in has tried to avoid and WeChat, you know, rises above and around that. And again, Facebook would like to aspire to be a WeChat where they're the most important differentiator, not the uh, mobile hardware.
1: Yeah, I wonder if um, one of these big companies would... Um, you remember how it used to be really annoying. Um, it was always uh, an issue when uh, TechHive, who used to review Android phones, and now our uh, GreenBot reviews the Android phones, and they always talk about the bloatware and the different skin that the manufacturer will put on it. Like Samsung, it's not pure Android. It's uh, TouchWiz, I think they call it. Um, so... So I wonder, you know, if there could be like a WeChat phone and I know Apple like doesn't do licensing and stuff, but that might be like a thing that they, you know, would be a big heads up in another country where it doesn't it doesn't work like this. And they've always been kind of U.S. first. So, you know, will China ever be such a big deal that they would like completely rethink their thing? I mean, I know they can build stuff in i think they can you know have like Siri do WeChat and 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 they've done a lot with like maps in China and they, and they've really tried to to make their software um you know attractive to those users but you know would they ever go even further to make like this is the phone for WeChat people and like if you love WeChat you would never consider getting another phone Whoever does that is going to win, right?
0: That's what it, it seems like. Uh, or, But but it also means that whoever comes up with the subsequent phone that's even better, <laughs> if it's a different yeah. platform, they get them. I mean, this is I think this is the real battle. This is why I'm fascinated by it as an issue, is it's the battle of uh, service as a platform versus hardware as a platform with services underneath it, right? And yeah. Facebook has shown they can't really do hardware, they can't really do mobile phones yet. Uh, and I would argue that Facebook, I don't know if, um, I'm not sure the comparative sizes, but I think... Facebook and WeChat are certainly head to head in uh, some aspects of the market. And Facebook having bought um, WhatsApp, WhatsApp is an extremely popular platform mm-hmm. worldwide. And some countries, my understanding is, WhatsApp is kind of the dominant platform. So yeah, people. Uh, That's huge. Yeah, so you know, you might be switching among very cheap phones, very cheap uh, Android smartphones. It might even be generic ones, but because you have the full capability of WhatsApp, you don't care. Um, it's very, I mean, it's very interesting. This is where I try to get us out of the, uh, try it myself. I should say out of the, um, you know, us filter or even European filter and everything because the, the markets are so different, but, uh yeah, I mean, Ch- Apple's been looking to China for growth and, um, this may be something that stalls that, um, Tim cook also talked about India, he's very interested in, uh, trying to push forward in, uh, India further. And, um, so we'll see what happens there. There's issues about like, uh, how companies are licensed and so forth. So I think the, uh, some of that was being resolved. We talked about that a few months ago. So it may be easier for Apple to have stores and do business and sell directly there. Um, but yeah, so as far as um, numbers, we don't have, you know, It's not, you can go read the stories because there's not a billion things to say. Service revenue was way up. That's the other big thing, right? You know.
1: That's bigger. that's a trend lately. Yeah, and I would expect that to keep going because and they they were saying that they were up in both um customers, like you know, new people sort of coming and starting a new service thing, and the customers who have been there a while, the longer they stay, the more they end up spending. Um, I think I got a notification from one of my things recently that was like, "You spent way more money at Apple.com this this month than you <laughs> usually do." And I was like, "Really?" And it was like, "Yeah, you usually average like forty bucks a month, and this month it was like sixty And I was like, "I usually average forty bucks a month, exactly." I don't I don't buy iCloud storage, and I don't buy um, Apple Music, so I was like, "What the heck am I spending for?" It turned out it was movies. It was oh, iTunes okay. content for mostly my husband and son so <laughs> i can ecosystem. put the password back on that but anyway yeah they don't make yeah, as much it's, no. yeah <laughs> it's, it, across the whole thing and they count and that's apple pay um slices that's um apple music of course that's um app purchases in-app purchases if you're still buying music and movies or if you're just you know um i um, buying apple apple music so yeah they have a they're they're diversifying the services thing and they're expecting it to grow. They always brag about how if it was its own company, it would be oh, yeah. fortune 500. It's yep. on its way to fortune 200. Um, so yeah, they're really proud of that.
0: Yep. They make uh yeah, they're still selling a, a wad of phones. So nothing, I mean, and also I should say, I think iPad, same kind of issue with iPad. It's not, you know, as there's no strength there, but we still haven't seen the bottom of it. Sales were down um, 13% year over year. Uh, this
1: quarter didn't include the new cheap iPad, which I right. think might do something to goose the numbers. They got the average selling price of the iPad up with the introduction of the iPad pros in the last year um they haven't updated those so we're sort of waiting on that, but I think the having the cheap three twenty nine iPad is gonna is gonna do something I agree,
0: but yeah, in terms of you know nothing you could walk away with that makes you go, well, you know this is terrible, whatever it's not an apple, not something that says Apple is doomed um you know it does further a narrative that Apple is. In this moribund state, in the moribund state in which they're minting money, they have over 250 billion dollars in cash cash equivalents. Their market cap is three quarters of a trillion dollars, more than that actually. Wow. Uh, so, yep, it's kind of a big company, kind of a big deal. Um, so, like Apple, we don't have
1: to do anything exciting. We can just sit back and make all the money like just in a calm, boring way. They can so. cruise
0: on this for you know, the next million years, right? At this I pace. I they
1: won't. They don't want to, you know, be Blackberry or whatever and just kind of rest <laughs> on their laurels and then look up and have, you know, oh all, sh- all the ships have sailed. They I mean, you know, we can, we can think of other companies that that's happened to, but yeah, you can't just like, When you're on top, you got to do stuff, but they don't have to do stuff every quarter. Like Wall Street gets very excited about, you know, they're always being new, 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 fresh, fresh, fresh. Hey,
0: BlackBerry decided the presidential election, but we won't get into that. New new, new breaking stories. Uh, The The bigger uh,
1: news from Apple was the next day, but we're going to get to that a little bit later.
0: Yes. Um, Teaser. So, yeah, we'll get that in just a moment. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to talk about with – Oh,
1: this next actually item, which is not really a patent story. This actually came up in the call too. One of the analysts said, hey, are you guys worried about – about Qualcomm, you're going to talk yeah. about Qualcomm. All right, it's, it's not a—it's more of a yeah. licensing no, I know, parts it is. No, it's thing an, than a it's patent total thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find the Qualcomm thing very interesting. It came up in the earnings call. One of the analysts was like, "You guys worried about Qualcomm? You just stop payments to them?" And they were like, "Well, we don't know how much to pay them, so that's something for the courts to figure out." And they said, are you worried that they're going to try to, you know, get an injunction on right. yeah. imports or sales of iPhones and, you know, uh, important territories? And they're like, no, we're not worried about that. And then, like, what, the very next day there was a story that said Qualcomm plans to ask the U.S. International Trade Commission to ban imports of iPhones. Yeah, and that's, um, not, that's, that's not a uh, paper tiger. But they haven't done anything yet. This is, like a, this is like kind of a rumor. Right, and still.
0: that's not a paper tiger because that's happened, in fact um – before that certain cell phones and other equipment, the uh, that group will actually ban the import if it contains. So it can't halt sales. I believe it cannot halt sales of uh, stuff inside the country. You'd have to seek different uh, redress for that. So a court would have to give an injunction or something. But that trade commission has a, a lower bar because it's a. it does a hearing. It doesn't have to go through a um, – uh, it's not a court process, but then it can be appealed and it's a whole other thing. So some companies in the past have used that as a lower – hanging fruit as a way to essentially uh, stop the import of products, which is effectively because most products are imported to be sold, uh, most electronics. Um, so if Qualcomm pulls that, you know, tries to pull that trigger, um, it's possible it would succeed. But I don't know. It seems, that you know, that because there's they've had routine and customary payments, the question would be, uh, with active litigation, would the commission intervene or would it, you know, be overstepping its bounds because it wasn't like something new or undiscovered or whatever. It's, uh, it's in process. Exciting stuff, um, billions of dollars. So, and one final bit of follow up is: I was talking about the Living Computers uh, Museum in Seattle, which is super wonderful, and um, I'd missed this neat little fact that they have uh, this, and uh, dismissed the story entirely. They have uh, the Apple One. Uh, folks who are longtime. Apple followers and users know about the Apple II, of course. Some of you remember or know about the Apple I, which was a really like hand-built, very low production, um, pretty crummy the machine. One? What? Is that is it, was it was a wooden? It was a wooden one. Yeah, yeah. And um, in fact, so here, my, my history is I had an Ohio Scientific Incorporator, OSI computer in 1980, and the Apple II was already out by that point. But the Apple II was uh, famously, I think, $666. Ha, 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 666. And the OSI was, I don't know, my parents managed to scrape together 300 bucks for it. Shaped my life by them buying that computer. And uh, the OSI that I had had a 6502 processor like the Apple II. It had, I think, about the same amount of RAM and ROM, but it didn't have um, a floppy drive, and it wasn't as fancy. Or you couldn't get a floppy drive for it at that time, or maybe it was an 8.5-inch. So – But the the, so the case that they show uh, in this uh, uh, TechCrunch story about um, and GeekWire reported on this also, which is one of our local outlets, uh, they show a case for this uh, Apple One that was built especially for Steve Jobs that had a secret EE prominent because the Apple One had to have a didn't have a bootloader built in, it didn't have a ROM. The Apple II did, but the Apple One you had to fire up and like load in the software so it could then run stuff. Well, so Jobs had an EE PROM, an electrically erasable programmable read-only memory, added to it so that when he did demos, it would boot into BASIC, right? And he didn't have to, so it looked fancier. Uh, And so this is apparently his custom machine. uh, Apple engineer, when Jobs left, Apple grabbed it to make sure it didn't disappear and then took it with him, which is interesting. When he left the company, I guess they're like, sure, take it. We don't care. Uh, And then it was... uh, you know, privately held by his wife after his passing, and now is on loan to the Living Computers Museum. Um, but the one of the case that's shown looks to me almost identical to an OSI case, and I have to think that at the time it's possible there were uh, case manufacturers making these, you know, molded metal cases that were out of what felt like sheet metal covered with. Uh, spray paint <laughs> they're pretty low tech um, yeah
1: because it came in like a kit right and you had to build it with your own case yeah and some had well
0: some ugh, they're part are standard things you could buy i mean because this one big motherboard and a power supply basically and um everything was monolithic there was no separate pieces um so i have seen there are uh, there are wooden uh framed apple ones and i don't think the osi i had i think it was all metal is my recollection it was but i think there were wooden. OSIs that had like wooden side pieces that were um, chamfered so they were uh, or rounded to look a little nicer. The days of wooden computers, my friends, long gone. Anyway, so Living Computers Museum ever come to Seattle? You can see Steve Jobs, actual, and they have an Apple One up and running. So you can actually w- play with an Apple One, the only place in the world you can sit down and touch a working one. If that's your thing, doesn't have to be your thing. That's cool. Yeah, I know. Uh, (laughs) On to news. Um, Let's do, I have, have, there's some video news. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about Apple's, uh, I'm I'm reordering on the fly, Susie, because obviously more important. Um, Apple's uh, big news was that uh, uh, Tim Cook went on to uh, Mad Money show with our friend uh, Jim Cramer. And um,
1: that always reminds me of when they made fun of him on 30 Rock and they went and it was just, Um, Jack Donahue's girlfriend was on 30 Rock and she went on Mad Money and it was just people in like a bull and a bear suit, like just body checking her.
0: (laughs) That makes sense. And then Kramer gets pretty quiet. Then when he sits down with sensible people like Tim Cook, he's a lot less noisy, right?
1: Yeah I was trying to get a good screen cap of them to run with the story and it was really hard to get one where like neither of them looked like they were about to like you know they just smelled something bad or they were about to hit each other like (laughs) but it was a friendly interview but like they both just looked really serious or one of them was moving his hands and they were all blurry. Kramer like had a big like folder he was kind of like waving around in the air. It was an awkward screenshot situation. This
0: this reminds me of so you know I I was on Jeopardy and if you look at that you get a shot, you get a picture with Alex Trebek when you're on Jeopardy, everybody gets a picture and almost all the pictures, he looks slightly pained or concerned. And I'm like, you've been doing this for a long time. Don't you know how to look in the camera when you're <laughs> yeah. photo taken? Uh Same, same experience. Like shouldn't Tim Cook learn how to not look pained on screen all the time? But it seems to be often as a slightly pained or concentrated expression on his face, but let's not let's, I won't expression shame him. I'm just, uh, just pointing out that <laughs> usually resting people, CEO face, yes, exactly uh, resting uh Southern concern face is a thing in my family, too. It
1: was a very good interview. Um, CNBC put up the transcript in the video, and we linked to those. And then I wrote a little recap in case you didn't have time. But anyway, so they were talking about, um, you know, they talked about Apple stock a little bit. He tried to get him to talk about upcoming products. Of course, Tim wouldn't. And But then they talked about, um, Tim made an announcement that um, Apple was going to do a fund, like an investment fund, and seed it initially with one billion dollars, and it's an advanced manufacturing fund for U.S. companies. And then it also kind of like meandered into a tax discussion because, like, Kramer was like, "Oh yeah, one billion—that sounds like a lot." But you know, your Apple—you have two hundred and fifty-six billion, like, in cash. And Tim was like, "Well, actually, um, if you to, for us to get a billion dollars in cash in the U.S., we're having to borrow some of it." Because so much of their cash is held overseas, and like they might know, have Trump to pay and, as much
0: as point 0.1% interest to borrow that money, is my guess. Maybe <laughs> yeah. 0.2, It's a very and who would risky. let a loan
1: money to Apple is oh so risky. Um, so yeah, but that so that was like a little side thing. Like maybe Trump will let them bring home some of that money, but blah blah blah. So they um yeah because you know they've been dinged for manufacturing so much overseas, and um uh yeah so they said um. They're, they're going to do this and they were going to announce the first investment from the fund this month and we'll see. So, you know, it might be smaller companies that are making components. It might be smaller companies that are making actual gadgets that like fit into Apple's ecosystem somewhere. Maybe like, you know, I always hope for more HomeKit stuff or maybe there'll be cooler thing as the iPhone gets more advanced with wireless charging like that'll be a whole little ecosystem of products and some of these can be made by smaller firms right here in the US so uh, that's that's an interesting um thing I don't know of any other tech company that's really um, gone there, like stood up for manufacturing. So that's kind of cool. I'm interested to see what happens
0: no it it's great. And uh, we've talked about this uh, kind of a theme of our podcast is talking about China and manufacturing and so forth. and and um if you read um you know, you can read anything about China and, uh, economy, and they have a slowing economy, growing middle class, um, uh, growing uh, you know inequity between rural and urban um, that's causing problems because of you know, healthcare costs. Like it's a very interesting situation developing there. It's very difficult at the scale of their economy and this the scale of country and people to deal with. But one of the things that's absolutely certain is that the quality of life for people in in uh, urban and like uh, you know metropolitan areas is going up. Um, you know, we, that's not talking about pollution, other things, which the country seems to suddenly be uh, leadership might turn a dime and really start addressing in a big way because it's making it impossible for people to live healthily. Uh, has a huge impact on the economy and tourism. So there's this whole, you know, massive scale change that's happening, but a lot of people in China, an increasing number have a higher standard of living, higher quality of life and wages have been going up at a far faster pace um, there than almost anywhere in the world, uh, certainly in any large economy. And, uh, as a result, it's gonna become increasingly more expensive to make stuff there. If labor is your cheapest cost, labor isn't the only thing that China has an, as an advantage. They have all this mm-hmm. integration of industries in the same place. Uh, you know, components move around, you know, in city size, uh, manufacturing facilities by Foxconn and so forth. They still have those advantages, even if we were at labor parity, Um, But you can't suddenly, if you're Apple, you can't say, this is too expensive, we're going to set up in uh, Colombia or Bangladesh. Like the infrastructure isn't there. And what Apple's investing in here is really what a lot of people have talked about as the future of manufacturing is being able to have, um, you know, manufacturing has gone two directions. Either you need to make super expensive, multi-billion dollar investments in super automated plants. You look at this in uh, chip fabrication. We're making a new chip plant because as they make the chip, Uh, circuitry smaller and smaller, you know, the number of nanometers goes down. I don't even know what the low number is now. Is it 15? It's something incredibly small. uh, That requires like these ever bigger investments to make fabrication plants, which means very few companies actually make chips. Most of them are fabless companies. They design chips and they send them off to these big manufacturers of which there are very few like Intel that can do it. But then at the other side is that you can use extremely expensive sophisticated machines to do really amazing manufacturing with many fewer people and very high productivity. And, um, that's the kind of thing that, uh, can be done, um, in the United States and other developed nations where they have a high cost of labor, but your labor inputs are not as high in having the cycle of, um, designers, developers, Product output all in one country, either for tax reasons or for uh, communication or whatever. There's not a cost differential, but you have to develop those um, manufacturing operations, and that's what Apple's. That's what I think Apple is investing in is a way to produce jobs, not on the scale of you know hundreds of millions, or not hundreds of millions, sorry, millions of jobs, but probably on the scale of hundreds of thousands of jobs in manufacturing that then beget other industries around them, kind of mm-hmm. like you know Detroit. Uh, there's there's millions of people involved still directly and indirectly in um, car manufacture in the u s and then you had other companies uh, from other countries come and build. Car operations here. I mean, this is you know. I'm sorry. I will stop my rant for a second at the moment, but it's um, you know, wh- there's this issue like, you know, where is a, a Toyota made now? Where is a Subaru yeah. made, right? And they're like, well, our to stop.
1: Subaru was a, like built. You know, the parts were made in overseas, and then it was assembled in a plant in uh, Vancouver, Washington.
0: Right. Or this, or the parts are made here, and they ship it to Mexico to be finished for cars. Like it's it's mm-hmm. where you know, yeah. like you know, it's a little bit. It's wonderful life. Your car wasn't made in his house. Your car was in Joe's house and his. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know we're in a global economy so apple um isn't necessarily trying to bring back uh you know they they famously were making the mac pro in the u.s and we didn't hear anything about it when the mac pro sales stalled and they stopped upgrading it we don't know where the future mac probably made they probably don't um either but you know the future of manufacturing in the united states is really um ro- like robotic and productivity augmenting enhanced uh um industry so it's very intensive somewhat expensive very very sophisticated and under more direct control of the companies who are using the product so um it's a great thing they're investing in but i don't think and the good part so like you know the world economy is a non-zero sum game i mean it's a zero sum game right it's people lose and win but if you expand economies then everybody can win and so ostensibly by investing in this kind of technology in America, they're not destroying the Chinese economy suddenly because the Chinese need to develop their own course as the cost of labor goes up. So mm-hmm. we're all we're it's it's a an additive thing because the technology that's developed will then pr- you know promote future products, which promotes future uh, stuff being built worldwide. Anyway, well, and just cool.
1: the scale of a lot of what Apple has to manufacture, I mean just think of iPhones, like the scale is so huge that they're not going to be able to move that like, you know, anywhere anytime soon just be the the scale of labor and the scale of parts. They're selling 80 million of these like a quarter. You you, just, you you need so much um so much volume. So Josh Centers um tweeted something yesterday that I retweeted and it was about um it was from an article I think in New York Times. There's no link, so I'm going to track it down. Um, But they were talking about uh, Apple executives say going overseas at this point is their only option. And they talk about um, uh, revamping the manufacturing of an iPhone weeks before it was due on shelves. They'd redesigned the screen at the last minute, which um, required an overhaul to the assembly line. Oh, my god! So they just went to wake up 8,000 workers at the dormitory and bring them over and give them a cup of tea and a biscuit. And by the end of that week, they were turning out 10,000 iPhones a day, um, you know we don't have a lot of places in the U.S. where people are gonna, you know, be willing to like live on site and like work, you know, eight hours, 10, 12 hours doing this stuff. Um, it's just, it's just not gonna happen. We can't get people to like, you know, pick strawberries. So, it, it, just the scale that op- Apple operates on, it means that yeah, advanced manufacturing is is much more automated and. Um, I think it's going to be for, you know, for smaller, for smaller things.
0: It's, I think it's a, I think that's the terrific part is that there's, um there's so many different directions things could go. I just got, this is not an advertisement. I was not paid for this opportunity to say this. Um, uh, I have friends at this company, uh, Studio Neat. These two guys who have now kind of a small manufacturing thing.
1: Yeah. And uh, they, like st-
0: they started uh, super nice guys and they started years ago with the Glyph, G-L-I-F, which was an um, iPhone, like a, a, iphone uh, tripod mount you could attach it to your iphone and then had a tripod uh, boss in the bottom you could screw the tripod screw into they have their newest one out and they've they've developed products over the years and uh the new glyph uh, i just got mine i backed it in the kickstarter campaign and it's um got injection molded parts it's got a wooden handle it's got spring-loaded things um it's got metal and leather sewn and uh it's just they are they are not like a, a worldwide company, but the amount of sourcing and development they have to do to pull all this together—they, um, ha- you know, there's there's one big die injection firm or a, a dye um, uh, uh, yeah, die injection. I'm sorry, sorry, the term where you make the plastic molded stuff in North Dakota. I think they're still working with. And as they've been developing all their stuff, they post updates. And so they did a, the neat ice kit a few years ago. That was a, a different make one giant ice cube um, and it involved like a foam part. And anyway, like watching what they say, like, well, we try to get this to work. And, you know, we had to send, they sent us samples. We couldn't get in production because there was a flaw in this thing. And we could never get this finish right. And um, they're a tiny company. They, they sell a fair amount of their product. But uh, there's just so many pieces around the world and around the country that they have to work to get and anything that increases like even cottage in like advanced manufacturing, um, can even be cottage industry. It doesn't mean that every company that gets formed or develops, is going to be a billion dollar company. It could be a, you know, the billion dollars could be spread thinly and you could have a hundred, $10 million companies or something like that doing really interesting, specialized stuff that would help, um, electronics makers, uh, pull stuff together. I mean, the, the neat folks are working with plastic and wood and so forth, but the same thing applies uh, there's so many companies trying to understand and be able to afford to make electronics, and it's so hard to source and pull it all together. So anything more that we can do here that makes it approachable and um, flexible be good. Good
1: story? And, I mean, small scale, really well built, really nicely done, made stuff with like Primo materials, like that's, you know, that's Apple's thing like that's what their audience likes so it seems like a natural fit for them
0: yeah and i mean think about the indiegogo kickstarter crowdfunding thing which is that electronics go up there and it's really hard to get them made and people are over optimistic and the more yeah. that there could be apple I mean,
1: can actually do their due diligence and yeah. like well, invest it's like, in firms that know what they're you know, doing yeah it's just because I, they, it's a fund
0: it would be yeah it'd be great to yeah, have it's gonna be uh, great more tools. uh so the uh, another uh, i would say kind of a biggest story but in pieces for especially for apple owners apple ecosystem people um is uh, in the video side. So, hey, Susie, Amazon Prime Video apparently is going to come to uh, Apple TV uh, sometime maybe this fall, we hope. Yes, right, that maybe. That would be great. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, Bring it it, sound, on. it it sounds like uh, we've got a story up about it, and it sounds like uh, Apple and Amazon are working out whatever you know financial, technical details. You and I have talked before about our suspicion that that um, the issue of uh, Apple dropping, um, the uh, it's typical, so Apple typically takes from any digital purchase. And last year they updated their subscription policy so that they only take 15% from a second year of a subscription. And you and I have speculated that perhaps that 30% will not be as absolute. And maybe because of some changes we were seeing in the affiliate program for iTunes and the Apple store and so forth, maybe uh, at WWDC, they're going to announce more flexible pricing. Who knows? Because Amazon for them, apparently that 30% thing was a stumbling block. And for a number of companies, it was. Uh, and you see a lot of companies get, I mean, we know that some companies may have gotten workarounds, like we don't know what HBO's deal was, that was not disclosed, a private thing, uh, when they were sort of the flagship new uh, premium service on the uh, fourth generation Apple TV. So Amazon maybe is going to cut a deal with uh, Apple to make that all work. I mean, because right in the Kindle app in iOS, you can't buy books, right? In the Comixology app, which is owned by Amazon, you can't buy comic books. You have to wishlist stuff or go online and to, or go to a website and round trip it. So,
1: yeah, and so the Amazon Video app for iPad is just like that, and so is I use the Google Play um, uh, Google Play TV and Movies um, app a lot too, and the, those are both they're the same model. So, yeah, you can watch stuff there, um, including things you've subscribed to, but you can't buy anything there, you can't rent anything there. You have to do that from a browser. Um, they don't really have a lot of apps. I can't think of any on Apple TV that work like that. So Apple might be like, well, we'll let you get away with that in iOS, but the Apple TV rules are different. Like, let's work something out. I doubt it's any sort of technical hurdle. Um, but then th- there were also problems too with, I mean, I don't know if this is just for the TV app kind of over the top system because like Siri, you know, um, supports Netflix, but the TV app doesn't. And this, the sticking point there was probably something about, um, you know, wanting to to look at uh, data, like, um, you know, what people are watching. Um, so Amazon might have a thing with that because they invest a lot in um, original programming, um, which Netflix does. So So they might, you know, want more data than Apple is willing to share with them. Um, That could be a sticking point too, but I hope it really does happen. Uh, it's it's not like it's hard to get your Amazon content on your TV now. You can use an iOS device yes, if you don't want to tie up an iOS device. They have right. a $40 Fire Stick and it's a great experience. No, no, it's true. I have a Samsung TV that has
0: Amazon Video built in, so I just switched to the TV, but I have to, you know, it's it's just, it's ridiculous to us that Apple TV doesn't have it. It's a business issue. It's like, as opposed to a, uh, te- because it's not a technical issue, it's a business model issue. So as a yeah. consumer, I'm like, get over it, and make it work, right? I'm an Amazon yeah. customer, I'm an Apple customer. You guys figure it out because it's in your best interest that Amazon is always on the Apple TV, and Apple makes whatever deals necessary to make it happen. So you know, it's taken a long time.
1: But but you're right. I think the, that the, Apple the f- needs. I think that Amazon feels like they don't really need. Them because they like they have all these other products and Apple probably feels like well we're not going to come begging you because we have all these other services so it's probably just two companies that like both feel like the other one needs them more than they need.
0: I tend That's- to agree with you, Susie, as is often the case. Um, yeah, I think Amazon and Amazon has that whole thing about where it stops selling other. Players, video players, right? Which was still weird to me that you can't buy like an Apple TV from Amazon. Didn't
1: they? Didn't they change that recently? Wait, did no? they?
0: I saw something is that about part of that the story. Uh, I don't know because that would be nice. It's that that seems ridiculous that you can no, buy you anything still can't. else. Yeah, you can't. You can find. <laughs> you it.
1: Ser- I just searched for it, and the results are Fire TV Stick and then Apple TV mounts. Exactly. And oh, that's a, what a holder the for the for the remote. A just to make it remote. bigger.
0: Very exciting. Um, yeah, charging thing. And
1: then a Roku.
0: It's just, then... I mean, this seems a little, like, it's not peevish, but I. I it's just, it's a weird Oh, thing you can buy the last
1: generation of Apple TV.
0: It's not, not like someone's not going to buy an Apple TV because they can't get it from Amazon. They'll see the fire thing and go, nah, I'm actually looking for an Apple TV. Because there is a branding aspect. I don't think they're cross-selling. So it just seems like a part of a bigger peevish business model um, issue. And this is kind of our bigger problem with video in general, right? Is that, Things are balkanized. Is like, I don't want to subscribe to seven services. I don't want to own three devices, and that's where we're at. You know, you need Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and then eventually Apple Music, TV, whatever, to watch all the shows that are going to be interesting out there. I almost canceled Hulu, which we'll talk about in a second. And I mentioned this on on um, Twitter, and several people are like, "No, dude, dude." Handmaid's Tale, you have to watch this. It's only on Hulu. It is worth the subscription. I'm like, okay. But then I found if you threaten to cancel Hulu, Hulu offers you a month free to stay on. So I did that. Oh, so So just
1: binge it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, don't know, and I like Hulu. I'm just not—I don't have enough. I was saying I have negative three hours a week to watch television, so that yeah, kind of adds up to not having time. But I just I canceled
1: Twitter HBO because Girls ended, and I was like, you know, I don't really need to pay for HBO. But with HBO now, it's so easy to just dip in and out. So I was like, you know, I don't care that much about Silicon Valley to like keep this HBO subscription. But maybe when Silicon Valley wraps the season up, like I'll get HBO for another month and just binge it. Like I don't need to see it as it rolls out. American Gods is
0: getting great reviews. I really like the. Neil Gaiman book. They have a lot of good
1: stuff, but I just, I never get there. That's
0: on stars. So like I'd have to get a stars subscription, but if I go with stars, I can get it, you know, you can get a month free and then nine bucks a month. And I would do that if I could binge American gods when the whole series is up and, um, handmaid's tale, they were smart. They put three episodes up initially and then they're doling it out. So you can't exactly, which is a smart strategy for Hulu because it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have the same library of, uh, exclusive, uh, series. Um, This takes us to our next story, though, which is Hulu Live. Uh, Hulu Live is launched in beta, and it's not entirely clear why it's beta, I guess, because it looks like a finished service. Um, But it's a very interesting thing. It's a lot less complicated. We've talked about this uh, for years now, Susie, about how complicated it is to sort through, like, the sling packages and the dish packages and whatever. Hulu Live TV is its entire library of stuff that you have plus – 50 channels uh, and uh, on, like uh, and some cloud DVR services and it's40 dollars uh, uh, a month, right um, And I think that's pretty amazing. so and you, you only get local channels in certain markets. that's the biggest thing. It only has a few markets where you get local affiliates but you can get live streaming of major networks like primetime and other programming that it owns. Um, so you can get ABC and NBC and the rest uh, but you don't you can't record them. the dvr the cloud dvr and you can't uh get the local station version of it so that's that's an issue if you want to watch local news and so forth um but it's a pretty amazing package of stuff and it's like this is the most tempting one i've seen because uh it has 50 hours of dvr storage online and it has um you know again all of hulu's thing which is uh eight bucks a month or you can still pay to get ad free at 12 bucks a month So you can still do that even within this package. You just pay $44 to $40. And they have some add-on things too. You can add Showtime for $9 a month. Um, It's going to work on uh, the Apple Apple TV, Xbox One, Chromecast, uh, iOS, Android. It's going to add Roku, Fire TV,
1: did Samsung. the Apple TV um, support start already, or I
0: think it's supposed to? The beta is like just out, just coming out. So I don't oh, know okay. if that's out yet. Yeah, so, no,
1: no. It says it says it's in there now. Oh, it is okay, good. yeah, because that's big. Because right now Sling is on the Apple TV natively. Um, I just got a subscription to YouTube TV, which is also and Sling just um, they're doing a beta of a DVR. They just rolled it out to Apple TV, so I'm writing about that on Macworld um, this week. And then YouTube TV also has a DVR feature, um, but it is not on the Apple TV, so I'm using right. that on my iPad. And the oh problem gosh. with Sling, <laughs> Sling also has an advantage that it supports um, single sign-on. So the Sling account that I have also gets me, lets me sign in to some of the apps, and some of those have a better experience. So like I can watch fx through sling and see what's on live and then some content right, but if right, i right. sign in with my sling account to the fx app then i get simpsons oh. world and i have every single episode of the simpsons and it's the best thing ever
0: won't you be won't you Which be is happy why i never watch hbo Why won't you be happy when uh, we're going to be on the other side of this and it's going to make more sense because i feel like we don't know what the ultimate price like i mean all these c- companies are trying to figure out what the price is they're all cutting deals with different networks they're all pulling things together so you're never quite sure what you're going to get Anywhere, I, I think the Hulu lineup is good. They've got Fox, Disney, NBC, Universal, A and E, uh, Scripps, which is Food yeah. tv So it's Turner. it's all these
1: extra things that are going to be the big selling point. So single exactly. sign-on. I mean, having tried a few of these now, Sling is the only one with single sign-on. That is huge if you're an Apple TV uh-huh. user. But if you're not, you don't really care. So, um, but YouTube TV is pretty good. It has. Um, a DVR built in and then it lets you, um, share an account. So I have an account like just through somebody else. They were uh, able to like add people to their account and Mm -hmm. they were like, Oh, here you go. And everyone gets their own DVR, their own like list. And so that was pretty cool. So it kind of depends. Like you have to sort of look, the channel lineup is one thing, but the channel lineups are all really darn similar. So unless you're just like, Oh, you know, I'm ride or die Bravo and I have to have Bravo like then then, like, look at the channel lineup, but there's a lot of overlap in them, and then you have to sort of look at the features, what device you want to watch on most, and then what, um, what like, g- gives you the best experience on that device. So if oh, I was yeah. only ever watching on my iPad, I might pick YouTube TV, but on, since I like the Apple TV, like, Sling is, like, heads up. I haven't tried Hulu yet, but I'm going to try that. Um, and then someone, I need to find this, I totally forget, someone made, like, an interactive tool where you could sort of tell it what your favorite shows or oh channels gosh, were, yeah. and then it would be like, "Oh, you should maybe get this bundle for this much a month or this other," and it would sort of help you figure out if you should buy bundles, if you should just buy your shows, because that's like a big job. If you're going to cord, if you're going to be a cord cutter, like I mean, you know, you're like, I don't want to pay for cable, but cable just gives you like everything all together and you, your DVR and everything's all set. Um, so, like, cord cutting is a lot more work. You have to figure out how to get the stuff you want. And then you you like you learn things along the way. Like it turns out, you don't need as much as you thought. And you, like I used to think, like oh, I'll, I'll have to buy Survivor like a season at a time. I could never stop watching Survivor. I haven't seen it in years. I don't miss it at all. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna find that tool though and link it up because I was really blown away. I think it was one of the papers. It was like the Washington Post or the New oh, York that's Times smart. or something. It's
0: a it's a great idea. And it, here's the thing too: the problem now with cable is that you could have the full on ultra Primo cable package and then still have Hulu, Amazon, Netflix with programs that you might want to watch, and then there's things like Sci-Fi Channel where if you you can get it through the cable network, but you can't get. Uh, no, I guess with Hulu with this package you'll be able to get the new. Because Sci-Fi has at least two, it has several new programs it's developing independently, but they're tied in with Hulu. So you get it with that. Um, it's just, it's very, I mean, there's only so much TV you can watch, right. But the fact that you have to choose like, all right, I want to watch handmaid's tale and, um, the expanse. So that's okay. Can I get, that's all Hulu. Okay. Oh, but I want to watch, um, uh, House of Cards and I don't know what else is on Netflix. That's amazing. But then
1: the nice thing is you can just jump in and out. Like there's no, you know, with cable, they were like, oh, you're going to have a box. Like you're going to give you a good deal for a year. And they, they really try to get you like entrenched. But with Hulu, like so they all do like a free trial, um it's, which is great if you're gonna have like a vacation coming up and you wanna just like sit on the couch and watch TV for a week. Free trial. hulu um, yeah, uh, Netflix location. They could offer advertised Netflix. Um that's
0: like Californication, except with TV.
1: So yeah, but then um um I forgot what I was gonna say. Okay, yeah, they all have free trials, but then you yeah, you can get in and out. So you can watch Handmaid's Tale. Uh, quit Hulu and then just come on right back whenever you want to. So yeah, it is. It is annoying that the exclusives like you know are so exclusive, and that is another factor you have to to go into. But you know it's not that hard to dip in and out. Um, a bunch of my friends have been sharing Hulu <laughs> logins just to watch Handmaid's Tale. Um, what? And, yeah. The, um,
0: the other thing though, it's I mean from the from the uh, Are we living in a golden age of of production of, of you know, video stories, right? Movies and tales. We are because these companies are pouring billions and billions of dollars into making often challenging things that no one would ever have made in the broadcast TV days or broadcast plus HBO plus Showtime, right? If that's all it was, you know, Games of Thrones is great. HBO is producing it. Showtime did Westworld. That's great. But Think of the dozens and dozens of programs that are being made and and movies and uh, comedy specials, documentaries. So the upside is all that's being made. And part of it is how long are you willing to wait, right? Like everything eventually and, – and I shouldn't say this. It seems to me that everything eventually migrates from the services to other ways of obtaining it. Like I don't know that there's anything that's been out for a bit on Netflix that you can't – like Orange is the New Black. Can you get DVDs of it? Can you get it – you can buy it from other places. You can't stream it elsewhere, right? Something like that. Uh, you can buy downloads now for the first seasons. it's so the stuff doesn't stay locked up forever. So if you have to see a show while it's being aired, then you have to you know figure out the finances of it to be able to subscribe to the streaming or streaming plus DVR services. If you could hold out and say, "Look, I'll wait until um, you know th- this Westworld is great, but I don't need to. I'm not going to get involved in those discussions. I'm going to avoid all the spoilers. I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. And two years later, I'll just get the season one DVD and watch it all then. And that's cool. And you know, get it from the library or buy it used or buy it for twenty five bucks or something. So uh, that is the it's the price we're paying is for the immediacy of programming and to be part of the discussion." Of um, you know live tweeting TV or whatever, right? That's what we're doing. Speaking of live tweeting television, though, another video story, Susie. Yes. <laughs> Twitter's live video service.
1: Oh yeah, I don't get this. Is that
0: I don't either. But they're paying a lot of money for programming, and it's this weird. Uh, it looks mix like they're paying things. a lot of
1: money to catch up with like Roku or like Yahoo Screen or something. Well, it's all a bunch of little. That's right? why I
0: don't get it's. Well, they're like they're streaming. St- I, they're like uh, WNBA will stream like you know weekly regular season game you for had twenty a football weeks. Ball
1: game a year, a week last yeah. year.
0: There's Come on, weekly, one weekly MLB game. Um, there'll be you know Stadium Network, Bloomberg is going to push uh, video twenty four seven over its network. Uh, PGA live streaming, Buzzfeed's going to have a morning program. It's like this a list of random things that is not complete enough for anything. But I guess they get. Viewers, people will come to them for specific things because it's there, right? And they're hoping to get like almost mass audiences who don't, who tune in for live events will come to Twitter instead of using some other service. And then Twitter gets the advantage of engagement and being able to sell ads to people while this is going on. And their apps allow, I guess, viewing and tweeting alongside uh, the thing. I didn't know, did you know there is actually a Twitter um, app for TVOS? I had no idea.
1: Yes, because last year when they had, they had the Thursday night football games on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so my husband's always very in- invested in watching the football games. They're, uh, we usually end up pirating them because they're kind of hard to get, you know, on an a la carte basis. And I was like, <laughs> whatever, anything. everyone knows it's fine. It's fine. I don't care. Um, we've talked about this a lot. Um, so, yeah, I was like, hey, don't worry, because the. Football games are on Twitter. And he's like, What does that mean? And I'm like, You know what? I'm not really sure. But all, like, literally all you had to do was download this app and fire it up. And it was like front and center because that was their huge, huge marquee content. They also have, like, you know, when people tweet like live streams of stuff, like, Yeah, that, yeah, was stuff like that. So most of it was not stuff you would want to watch, but they had a football game, like a real NFL Thursday night football so game funny. that was huge. So I got it just for that, and I never used it for anything else.
0: Right. So, I mean, Twitter's still trying to figure out what it is. It doesn't know. It doesn't know what it is, and maybe no. it's a video service. Um, it's
1: kind of a media company, so it's sort of like, yeah, but, I mean, it's also like it's not going to, you know, catch up to anyone or beat anyone because it's, you know, it's, oh, Twitter. All right.
0: Uh, some security stories. Let's talk about that a bit, I think, because there okay. are a bunch. All right. Hold on to your socks. Oh, don't or or get some new socks. <laughs> um, so you know the big one this last week uh, that people have already seen resolved. I think it started after we recorded the last podcast. Was the uh, Google Docs uh, uh, debacle, which was um, it was insidious because someone just figured out, hey, I can create an app called Google Docs and tie in using Google's API for its OAuth system, and OAuth is this very standard way of being able to pass a request. To access a service on behalf of another application or site, so you know when you go to um, I don't know you go to some th- something and it says, "Hey, uh, uh, you need to log into Google to use your calendar," and it brings up a dialog box and it says, "Here's you're logging in via Google." And you put your credentials in. And it says, "Do you want to let this app have access to your events and blah and whatever?" And you say, "Okay," that gives it uh, app-based permission, but you haven't given up your password, right? You're approving it for a limited thing. And uh, if you go to Google and you log into your account and security settings, you can see all of your linked apps and you can revoke that. And that's used with, you know, Twitter does that. Facebook, a lot of services have these uh, OAuth-based app approvals. And it's often a way that you get messed up because you give some app approval on Twitter to to tweet on your behalf because it says, I've – put together my daily list of stories from top followers or something. And it tweets for you and you go, oh, that's not very interesting. I'll turn that feature off, but you leave the app connected. Then the company uh, sells the domain or they go out of business or they lose their credentials and somebody hijacks them. And suddenly your Twitter account is tweeting, Hey, here's where you get free Viagla and say right? You know, and uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. So this is, uh, akin to that. And, um, Google didn't put any restrictions ostensibly on what apps could be named. So it started with a phishing link. And if you click the link, it would be like, hey, here's this Google Doc I'm inviting you to. You'd click on it and it would say, hey, uh, allow uh, Google Docs to have access to your Google account. And it would be – you'd be on a Google page. It would look like a legitimate thing. And you click OK. And then it could spam all your contacts with this phishing link. Um, So – uh, it apparently spread very widely in academia. I'm on various Slack groups and in various Slack groups, people are like, oh my God, is this happening? You know, someone's like, this has happened to all of our students. And, uh, it was a nightmare. Um, and so Google, you know, responded rapidly, got it shut down, said it affected, um, I think it was a 10th of percent of accounts, which is like a million accounts because they have so many accounts connected. Um, and, uh, then the next day a research is like, this is still an issue. Like I can use, um, this is the homonym or homophone, uh, thing that i wrote about in private eye about domain names where you can use characters in other scripts that look like roman characters so someone said research is like i can create something that says google docs but the o is from cyrillic and it looks like a roman o so uh. see right and so they didn't block uh, homophone attacks and it's sort of a more uh, general thing uh, because google doesn't validate every single app that goes through there's there's a there's a programs and permissions and so forth but it's not you know it's a very large program a very large system that they administer so um just beware of as usual unexpected requests from people you're not sure in this case it said like h h h h h h h h h h h something wants to share this google doc with you and um probably if you don't know h h h h, h don't do it don't accept google docs from wooden google Be careful docs from strangers. Out there. yeah um,
1: I didn't get it, and then I was all sad. I was like, "No one wants to share this Google Doc with me."
0: All your friends are too sophisticated to click on a link.
1: I guess That's all the it. journalists were getting it though, and I was just like, "I'm a journalist." I know it's like <laughs> it's like, don't you want
0: to be on the like the enemies list or the you know the Uber yeah. the Uber journalist attack list or something? You're like, come on.
1: No, no not really. Not but really. I, no. I had a little. I had a little spam FOMO.
0: There was some. There was some kind of massive list that was going out to journalists where someone BCC'd like six thousand people, and then it went on or didn't BCC, I guess. Oh.
1: And I wasn't on it,
0: and I was like, "Oh man, I'm just, I'm totally, I don't, I'm not cool."
1: I've been on those before. I don't think I was on the most recent one, but I've been on those before. And then, like, yeah, everyone has to be such a smart guy, and you're like, just like, okay, follow. Um, so and then other want, people are like unsubscribe.
0: <laughs> a Few more security stories. Uh, I wrote a private eye column uh, a couple days ago. About uh, a friend of mine asked this question because it's a really annoying thing is if you are um, prominent in social media or public circles or a victim of uh, harassment or a target or whatever, people will try to hack your accounts for whatever reason and they'll try passwords, they'll use figure out the name of your dog. Um, they'll see if they can reset your password. So she gets wave after wave of people trying to reset her password and all these different services. And she's like, look, is there anything I can do to stop this? And I looked into it, talked to a uh, security expert, uh, Lee Honeywell, who's now a fellow at the ACLU, a uh, longtime security guru. And um, effectively there's no way it's like a form of harassment that shows that people are trying to get at you. And because The services don't want to block off the ability for people to reset their password when they forget it. They can't really disable it in the way you might expect. So I think some development needs to happen there because um, more and more people have become targets because of all the leaked passwords and whatever. There are so many, um, I described this chained account, which happens now. So Susie, let's say someone uh, believes they have the credentials and they test and they get into your me.com account. Well, like, all right, well, that may not be, you know, iCloud isn't useful on it's own. maybe, or you don't do anything there. But... You have um, your, you know, your uh, untapped uh, account. The email backup for resetting your password is your iCloud account. You've forgotten that, mm-hmm. so I can go to Untapped, enter that, have it mail a password to your iCloud account. I've already compromised, and I can then reset your Untapped account and lie about the beers you drink. Right? Uh, so <laughs> very important stuff. Don't um, do that. I, well, <laughs> all right, you know, all right, I won't now. Now you asked me not to, but so that's the issue: is that um, it's not necessarily. That, so we're going to see more of this because um, there was just a, a list posted with, I think it was almost half a billion email addresses and multiple passwords that hackers had collected from all the previous password uh, leaks. And it's this massive database that's available online. So if you've ever had a password leaked in any attack, like the, there's an Adobe one and LinkedIn and all these things, this is like a superset of all of those many people have changed their passwords or they were automatically reset by the services. Not everybody. Some people reuse passwords. So it'd be like, Oh, here's Susie Oaks in this list. I can you know, uh, try- at
1: some point on some service, she used this password. Let's try it on all the services exactly. and see if it works. Exactly. I will cycle through them. And if I get into yeah. one email
0: service you have, then I might be able to use that. That might be a backup or a password reset email you use at other services. Then I go to the other services and send out password forgotten messages or pick that email address or whatever and try to get it reset. So um, we're going to see more and more of this. And sites need to step up. So listen to me, Sites. I know you're listening to this podcast. Step up. But that's, uh, that. you know, explanation for users about why you're seeing more of this is um, password forgetting stuff isn't, uh, reset isn't really optimized for dealing with harassment. Uh, another one. We'll get through this, Susie, you and I, together. Uh, Trojan Malware was inserted into Handbrake, the very popular DVD uh, Blu-ray ripping software, oh, uh, no. for personal for personal use only. They had the problem that's happened, uh, happened to Transmission. It's happened to uh, another software package, a blanking w- of which uh, someone broke into their um, developer account at an online place, was able to replace a legitimate copy of Handbrake with one with a um, remote access attack built into it. And so if you installed that version, you need to... Uh, replace it immediately and follow instructions uh, we've got an article up about that and the handbrake people are very sorry but it's um something sometimes these things are outside of their control because they involve stealing credentials from uh, other parties um, and finally I got this email from someone who had uh, had a failure with their file vault drive and was trying to figure out if they could recover any part of it and they'd also forgotten their password and uh, I wrote a, a mac nine one one about this but I thought I'd just highlight it briefly because uh, i advise people to use file vault whenever possible in mac os because it's a great way to protect your data at rest um, against attackers uh, but if you use it it's effectively impossible to recover a crash drive so you need to also have good backups um, and you, if you have a clone uh, local clone if that's not on an encrypted drive then that drive, if someone gets a hold of that, they have all your data. So you need to make sure your backup drives are encrypted so that when everything is at rest, nothing is accessible. And if you're using online services, use services that let you control the encryption key, uh, like Backblazer, CrashPlan, a few others. Um, Look into the ARC ARQ review I did recently that lets you control stuff even more when using cloud services uh, and control that encryption key. Um, So if you're using FileVault, you must have good backups. If you don't, you could be completely... um, Storage out of luck. I think they call it SOL, right? Storage out of luck. <laughs> the polite version. And that's all our news this week, I think, right? Nothing else?
1: I think so. That's That about covers it.
0: I have one line about U.S. households are ditching landlines, but that's, you know, we all know that's happening.
1: Yeah, not really too surprised.
0: We have a fake landline. Uh, our fiber plan was, um, we could get a gigabit. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> everybody drink. Um, the fiber plan was, cheaper if we took a phone line with it. So we did. So I've got a phone line. It's not a real line. It's like fiber through a box that then goes through. I have a real
1: one that runs – the alarm is plugged into.
0: Right. We wound up getting an IP panel on our – the the smartest thing in our house is our alarm system. It ain't very smart and it goes over IP. That's the only thing we have in our house that is a smarty pants at the moment. Um, I saw a tweet this morning of someone saying, hey, I uh, just woke up and found that my light bulb is contacting a uh, Tor node at uh, blah, blah, <laughs> no. blah. I shouldn't be worried about that. Should I? So like every no. time I see that, I'm like smart stuff. No no no, no. no, no, no. Use HomeKit.
1: I might buy a HomeKit ceiling fan. I'm thinking about it. It's like $300 when all the other ceiling fans are like, you know, 75 bucks.
0: But, you know, uh, when, you're away from, anyway. when you're away from home, you can turn it on and off. That's the. Uh, yeah.
1: I could like I have a temperature thing inside, so I could say, you know, if it's four thirty, we're about to come home, and it's eighty degrees in the house. Why don't you go ahead and turn the fan on? In that fan, um, we'll yeah, see. this is it's kind of I'll thing. Let you is, know. I want to know. It's uh, the whole. It's like the whole
0: house thing. Like I don't want to pay a huge premium is because I'm cheap, but I also want like everything. Like if we ever go smart house in my house, it's going to be after I feel that there's really good security measures in place and a really strong way to sort of firewall the devices, so they're. There's so little that gets out. Like I can just program everything locally and doesn't have to talk out to clouds for stuff and isn't as attackable, but also it's like, I want it. I want like all my lights on it. I want the alarm system, the lights, the air conditioner, the refrigerator, everything, put everything on there.
1: See, I only want that stuff that no one else is going to want to use without because like no one else wants to use phones to control things. Like I'm the only one right. in the house who's like, this is so cool. Everyone else is like, no, where's the button I push to turn it on and off? And I'm like, well, there's a button here, but it has to stay on all the time. If you actually turn it off from the button then I can't turn it on from my phone. And they're like, no, no, Susie, no. So we'll see. <laughs> but the HomeKit fan might actually work. We'll, s- I don't know. Logitech is doing little buttons now. That's just a programmable button. It's like the Logitech Pop. And so they have these, um, uh, I think, uh, uh, not Mophie, um, another fitness company um, makes them too. And you can kind of program it to like do a few different things. So if you have like Hue lights, you can be like, oh, if I press it once, it'll turn my Hue lights on. If I press it twice, it'll turn them all blue, like things like that. Um, They're putting out a new one that has HomeKit support. So. I could go around and, like, next to all the lamps and things that I have, like, plugged into HomeKit plugs that I don't want anyone to, like, touch the switches on the lamps. I have a fan I can t- I can plug in to a HomeKit plug. But then I don't want anyone to touch the controls, but then I could put a HomeKit button, just tape it right on there. <laughs> so you're saying you've got
0: a switch on your lamp. I got it, yeah. And so then I have you're going to gonna make If them I want to make the, the lamp
1: smart, I have to also to introduce a, a smart button. So there's a smart button that people can press like it's a dumb button, but it'll, like – Keep everything you know up to date in HomeKit. Like HomeKit will know if that's that on or off. That
0: sounds great.
1: I know it's so stupid, funny. It's funny. <laughs> but it might work. It just might work. Through. The
0: problem is it's that, it's that exactly that thing is it's the um, the idea that uh,
1: I think that's why the Echo is so popular because it just takes that whole like yeah, yeah, thing yeah. away. You just say it's not turn t- the light on and it goes on. Like it's like the clapper, but like a high tech version of the clapper. That's what everyone really wants. We all just want the clapper.
0: No, totally. It's But it's also, right, this is the thing we've talked about. So many times that Apple has this very solipsic mentality. The solipsic, sol- solipsistic is what I'm looking for.
1: They don't uh, get that you don't, you, you, people have a family and we don't all have iPhones like, yeah, in our hands all Or if all we day. do,
0: you still can't necessarily share all the permission unless you have the right device. And so yes. it's like, or you don't want, I don't always carry my iPhone around the house. I've heard from some house.
1: people with the iPhone, even with HomeKit that, you know, you have like a thing where you leave and then... It knows that you left and, like, will turn the thermostat down or whatever. Oh, yeah, your family's it, back to going, so what the Yeah, F- it's so bad F- with, like, two <laughs> what phones. The, what the fam, Even if, like, fam? both phones share HomeKit, it's really hard to get the devices to say, like, if this phone leaves but the other phone's still home, then don't do this. If they both leave, then go ahead and, like, run the routine. Like, it's a little – we're right. not quite there yet.
0: So then it's like – so then what do you have in the home? Do you have a, a touch panel device that's, like, your smart home device? that is integrated with all this stuff, but then it also works on the smartphone. So then what, you know, it's, it's problems that still need to be solved, but it's kind of, this gets us into the wearable world. Well, We can finish this podcast soon. I'm sure folks, but it gets us in the wearable world of, of the status of where we are. Like that's the smart home is predicated on knowing where people who belong to the home Uh, Or made members of the home temporarily are. Because otherwise, it's like, you know, a robot in your house. Like, everyone, every human is left. Like, no, I'm here. Don't turn it down to freezing. It's like, no, all humans are gone because no smartphones registered are present. You know, we don't want that environment. But what's the alternative? It doesn't seem as smart once you have to have like a panel on the wall or buttons that you put next to your smartphone switches.
1: Yeah, um, it could be like I mean I'm sure you could do it with like you know I have a bunch of motion sensors and if the motion sensors if none of the motion sensors have tripped during the day, yeah, but then for you have that thing over of an of pe- hour. People then in probably the bathroom no waving home.
0: their hands while they're sitting on the john. Well, right? I wouldn't
1: do it for lights, but yeah, <laughs> no, I yeah, know, this- but it's still.
0: But, there's but a the lot of to, what if you're sitting lot. very still and reading and it registers you know there's no motion detection and the temperature goes down you're like oh i've got to turn that page more then forcefully you have to
1: get your phone out then yeah, you have to get your phone exactly. out. edge cases you can still just solving get your
0: phone problems out. technology solving problems that technology creates
1: that's the thing like a <laughs> lot of what i do now is just solving problems that i didn't have before i had all this technology it's
0: good. i i argue um as i think a saturday morning breakfast cereal uh, cartoon argues that that um, we already the, the singularity has already arrived and the uh, artificial intelligences are making problems for us so we don't get in their way. That is a very reasonable Occam's razor explanation.
1: Oh my God, we're all in like a giant like rat maze, aren't we? Yeah,
0: yeah, because it's doing its thing and it's just get, making us technology that ha, they're, they're helping us develop technology that controls technology to keep us out of the way because it's they've got their own agenda. They're that was th- a
1: big part of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? The mice were running things and they had us just doing busy work while the computer ran its. Program. It
0: also had the best uh, statement about technology ever that I quote all the time, which is that um, the devices made by the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation had um, uh, major design flaws so serious that when you overcame the major design flaw, you completely ignored the device didn't do anything you really needed it to do in the first place. And there you go. That's technology. That's why we do this. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is the uh, Luddite podcast uh, for <laughs> – Uh, Susie, great to talk to you again. Yes, you too. (laughs) We'll be back next week. Uh, I have been and remain Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. This has been episode 558 of the Macworld podcast for May 10th, 2017. Folks, you know where to find us, macworld.com. Email us, podcast at macworld.com find us on facebook at facebook.com slash macworld Susie is s-f-s-o-o-z like z on twitter i am g-l-e-n-n-f like frank on twitter and i uh i tweet a lot less than i used to but still there you want to find me making dad jokes at midnight you can find them uh i made a joke about uh exon provence last night it was totally worthwhile to be there for it uh but we'll be back again next week and thank you for listening as always